as you, uh, some of you are aware, beginning this fall, we started uh, going through the topic of the New Testament pat- uh, church, the New Testament pattern, the pattern of the New Testament church. That's correct. Sorry, I, it took me a while to get it out there. Um, and, and we've been kind of uh, off the topic for the past uh, couple of weeks, or it's been a while, I should say. Uh, we had a Christmas lesson last week and so forth. Um, so I kind of want to remind everyone of that, that we are going through this series on the pattern of the New Testament church. And this morning's topic that was assigned to me is the purpose of the call of the church. So uh, without any more delays, turn with me to the book of Acts. We're going to do some reading in the book of Acts as we consider the purpose and the call of the New Testament church. Turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 1. I'm going to read a couple of verses. We're going to skip around, so bear with me as we read and meditate and consider God's Word. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which He was taken up, after, th- after He, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom He had chosen, to whom He also presented himself alive after he suffered after after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during during 40 days and speaking of these of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God and being assembled together with them he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the father which he said you have heard from me For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they they came together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me. In Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, taken up, and the clouds received him out of their sights. And while they looked, they looked steadfastly towards the heavens, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Now skip all the way to chapter uh, skip all the way to chapter 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come and they were all with one accord and in one place and suddenly there came came a sound from heaven as of the rushing mighty mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they where they were sitting. Then there appeared uh, there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire one sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the holy spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance and there were uh, and there were dwelling in jerusalem jews devout men of every nation under heaven and when the sound occurred the multitudes came together and were confused because everyone heard them speaking in their own language then they were all amazed and marveled, saying, uh, saying to one another, look are, uh, look, are not all these Galileans 
How is it we hear, hear, uh, we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Skip down to, chapter, uh, to verse 38. Then Peter said to them, Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off. As, and as many as, the Lord, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. That day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayer. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders, uh, wonders and signs were done through the, through the apostles. Now all, the, all who believed uh, were together and ha- had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all, among all as anyone had, had need. So continuing daily in one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their, uh, their food with gladness and, simplic- and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. May the Lord bless the reading of His Word. And so this morning as we consider the purpose or the call of the church, it is important for us to go back to the the beginning, to the very uh, uh, start of the church here. We find it in Acts, in the day of Pentecost. So there's three things I, I would like to hopefully cover this morning uh, because we don't have time for anything more. Hopefully we'll cover these three things. The first things I want to talk about is Christ's global vision for the church, the Great Commission, right? That's the first thing we want to talk about. The second thing I want to talk about is the Holy Spirit, the importance of the Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit in the church. And then also I want to talk about the response or, or, or the reaction of the church. What should the reaction of the church be? Three minor points that hopefully with the Lord's help we'll get through. And so the first thing I want to I bring to you, to your mind and to your memory, is that whenever you see this, these events, these climactic events in human history, where, where God breaks into time, right? Well, when we, when we consider human history, right? Human secular history uh, negates all of God's great acts. I mean, you, you consider it, right? Consider through, 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 through the ages of humanity, all the things that God has done, and yet... Humanity as a whole rejects them or denies them or, or, or refuses to put them in their textbooks. I mean, uh, start from the very beginning. There's creation in our textbooks, in our, in our secular textbooks. Far from it. Is the fall of man in there? Not, not likely. I, is the flood there? A great climactic event where God intervened and God judged the entire earth. It's not there. And so forth. And Babel, same thing. Uh, the, the call of Abraham out. To, to, for, to a peculiar people. Mount Sinai, the law, all, all this is not in there. The, the incarnation, God coming in the flesh, for the most part, secular history denies it. it, it it's, it's an insignificant event to human history. And, and even the cross itself. I mean, they, they, there may be a small footnote here and there concerning the cross in Roman history, but, but n- never any true significance. And, and even all the way to Pentecost and so on through, through the prophetic calendar of God. But... What, what I want to draw your mind to, brothers and sisters, this morning, is that when God interjects, when God breaks into the time of humanity and does something, we should take note. 
The rest of humanity doesn't. But we should take note. It's important. We should pause and think and meditate and, and, and ask the Lord, what, what, is, what does this mean? The Lord doesn't, God, God the Father does not just break into, human, into, into time and does something in humanity for no reason. He does it very sparsely. He does it very few times. And He does it for a reason. Now, having said that, going on that rant, and I apologize, I digress, as I always do. We look at the, here, the, the book of the Acts, right? And one thing I wanted to point out is the book is called the Acts of the Apostles. Now, if you have ever read the Acts of the Apostle, the book of the Acts of the Apostles, you, you very quickly realize that there aren't that many apostles in it to begin with, and there's not many acts that they do. I mean, you, you read of a little bit of, of Peter there at the beginning of the book, and then, then you read about Paul sojourning. But the book is not so much about the Acts of the Apostle, but it's about the God of the Apostles doing works in them. So maybe a, a more apt, a, more, a, a, a better title for this book would be The Acts of Christ by the Spirit through His people. And, and, and it's important to know. It's important to pause at the beginning because when we're considering the purpose of the church, we realize that it's not within ourselves. It's not what we can muster. It's not what we can do. It's very clear from the very beginning, from the very onset of the church itself, it was never about the man. It was never about the woman. It was never about the soul. It was always about what God could do through these, through these poor souls. And so when we consider the Acts of the Apostles, we have to be careful. And we should consider. We should consider that it is Him. It is, through, it is Christ and through His Spirit who does all these things. And so we read here at the very onset that Luke is the writer and, and the Acts of the Apostles is a continuation of his previous letter to Theophilus, right? And the previous uh, letter that he wrote to Theophilus was the, the account of the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel by Luke. And, and, and uh, very aptly he says there, you know, uh, I wrote to you before, he says, concerning all that Jesus uh, did, or, uh, all, both, both began to do and to teach. Now, I have to pause there. Um, for a moment, and I, I want you to consider and, and meditate upon the. Uh, he was writing concerning what, what 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 Jesus began to do and to teach, and I want you to to consider and stop and meditate upon the order of those words. And because it's it's a reproach to my own heart, I, I tell my wife every time I I, I endeavor to to, to 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 study the Word of God to, to to bring something before you, I find myself to fall so short. For when I consider my Savior, when I consider my Lord, the author, the purpose, the life of this word, we read that Christ did first, and then He taught. He lived 30 years on this earth before He even opened His mouth publicly. He had a public witness in His testimony. He's not like me. He's not like you. Where we, we point and judge, we, we, we say do this and do that, but we ourselves are guilty of the very sin. And it's a reproach to me, and I hope it's a, it's a reproach to your heart to, to humble yourself, to recognize that our, 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 our perfect example is Christ. We strive to be like Him. We, we look to be conformed to His image. One who who was blameless in word and in deed. 
And I stand before you this morning a fallible man. Flawed. And, I, and I'm, I'm going to preach to you this morning. And, and by no means do you think I'm preaching down to you. For the very things I'm speaking to you about are, 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 are piercing my own heart. Because I, they're, they're not completely and fully true in my life and in my heart. But the Lord, thank the Lord, He's patiently working with me, a wretched sinner, to make these things so. And yet we see that the work of Christ, He acted and then He taught. He was a doer and not a hearer only. And so we see what the purpose of the church is, right? The purpose of the church there, we see the apostles gathered together. And also, I don't have a lot of time to get into it, but I consider also the environment. Consider the scene in which they were in. The, the, the Lord was crucified not too long ago. And He was buried, and they thought He was dead. And three days later, these women come trembling and say, He's not there anymore. He's risen. And they, they all go one by one looking for Him, and they don't find Him. And the Lord graciously appears Himself to these wretched men, these Galileans, these men who don't deserve His grace, who don't deserve any proof of His resurrection. Men who denied Him. Men who abandoned Him. Men who were cowards and forsook their Lord. Yet God would graciously appear unto them. And for 40 days He would walk with them and commune with them. And talk to them. And teach them for 40 days. And we see there the Lord telling them, Listen, you need to remain in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. You need to remain in Jerusalem. And, and, and even that itself is an, it, 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 it's something to the disciples. Because I, you imagine the, the turmoil in Jerusalem wasn't exactly uh, over yet. I mean, the, the, the acts of the crucifixion were still fresh in the hearts of and in, in minds of men, uh, Annas and Caiaphas were still uh, pulling the, the, the hearts of the strings of the hearts of the people. And the Lord said, "Stay in Jerusalem. Yes, you, you, your life may be in danger. Yes, yes, things may not be uh, cozy here in Jerusalem, but remain in Jerusalem." He says. And, and we read that the disciples would sit there and say, "Well." Yes, if the helpers are coming, if, if the Holy Spirit is to come. Uh, some of us, you know, uh, we're Galileans, yes, but, but we're not all dumb. Uh, we, we remember the prophecy in, in Joel concerning the Holy Spirit coming upon, upon the Jews and, and the kingdom being restored. Is the kingdom going to be restored, they ask. You know, and the Lord graciously, He doesn't rebuke them. He says, no, listen, the, the, the time for the restoration of the kingdom of Israel is, is yet to come. It's, it's on God's prophetic calendar, and it's not for you to know the time and the place, the season or the time. But listen, there's more pressing things at hand. Right? He says, listen, I, 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 the Holy Spirit's coming upon you. The Holy Spirit's going to come and indwell you and, and be with you. And I want you to be my witness. And I want you to be witness not just in Jerusalem, and Judea. You see, one of the things about the disciples is that they were Jews by birth and were Jews at heart. And, and, and rightly so, they desired to see the kingdom restored. They, they desired to see the throne of David uh, to, to be restored and to Rome to be abolished. And to see their people redeemed. But you see, God, God didn't just have His view on, on the small little plot of Israel. A small little pot that's uh, was it, 50 miles by 100, or 60 miles by 150 miles uh, uh, high. 
He was looking beyond the borders of Jerusalem. He was looking beyond the borders of Judea. He says, I want you to be a witness not just in Jerusalem, but in Judea, but in Samaria. Oh, where really? The Samaritans? Wow. Now, we don't like us. I mean, we're Galileans. People don't like us, but people don't really like the Samaritans. Oh, it doesn't stop there. The Lord says, to the end of the earth. You know, there's something to be said there, brothers and sisters. As, as assemblies across this, this great country gather together on every, every Lord's Day. Sadly to say, there's a lot of them that are struggling. There's a lot of them who, 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 are, who are just barely getting by. And a lot of them would say in their heart, oh, you know, we're just too old to do any, any real evangelism. We're too old to see a great work done here. If, if only we can hang on until the Lord returns. If only we can just, just endure. That's not what the Lord wants. That's kind of what the disciples wanted. If only we can have restoration of what we know to be. If only we can have restoration of the kingdom. Listen, the Lord is not looking to play defense here. He's not looking to stand back and to just endure. He wants to play offense. There in Matthew, as he's talking to Peter, he says, On this rock I will build my church. And it says, And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, what, what is that metaphor for? Is the gates of hell uh, constantly moving around attacking the church? I mean, how many gates go around attacking people? It just doesn't happen. It's quite the opposite. It's the church storming the gates of hell. It's the church trying to, to, to save any soul that's being captivated by the gates of hell. To pluck any sinner that's on their way to a lost eternity. The Lord was looking to, 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 for offense, not defense. The Lord was looking to, to save the world, not just Israel. And we see this great commission that is given to us. To preach the gospel to all men. And he says, I will be with you until the end of age. Now, that's incredibly profound and interesting. You know, a, a lot of us can, can look at the, the book of the Acts, and we look and we see the amazing works being done in the book of the Acts. And we look around ourselves and we say, well, that's not happening here. That, that, that must be by that, 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 that those miracles and those great people being saved. That must be for a, a, a different time. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not for this time today. It's not for us today. We're not going to see, like Peter, 3,000 souls being saved. <laughs> Brother and sister, I, I would disagree with that. I would completely disagree with that. I mean, yes, we, we may not see the 3,000 souls being saved. But you don't know that 3,000 souls aren't being saved. Just because we're not aware of them, brothers and sisters, it doesn't mean the Lord is not working in this way. I mean, Paul there in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5 says, Therefore judge nothing before it's time, until the Lord comes, 
who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsel of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. What is he referring to, brothers and sisters? What is he referring to? Well, listen, brothers and sisters, when the the scroll of human history is complete, when the canvas is done and the Lord has completed human history, he says that he's going to, to shed some light on the whole. And he's going to reveal what he's been doing. And, and, and brothers and sisters, it, it's, it's going to be grand. You know, we, we have a lot of promises in Scripture. He promises that his word will not return void. Praise the Lord. And, and we may not see the fruit of the labor in our lifetime. Because we may not be aware of it. But in, in eternity we will see. I mean, we may get a glimpse of it here and there. I mean, let, let me tell you a story of a... Of a Canadian evangelist named uh, his name was was uh, John. Uh, I'm sorry, where is it in my notes here? His name his name was John Paul Bernay. Now this man John Paul Bernay, uh, purpose in his heart to go witness to to every single soul on the small island of Saint Pierre, and it's found in, in the north uh, area of, of uh, northeast area of of Canada there to, next to Newfoundland. It's a small island, a small community. And he said, it's a small community. I myself should be able to hand a track to every single person there. And he did this, by the way, over 50 years ago. Well over 50 years ago, I should say. And he went out and he, and he passed a track in every home. And brothers and sisters, nothing came of it. Until 50 years later. He got a phone call from a young man. Telling him that their father had passed away. And as him and, and his sister and his wife and, and, and his brother-in-law were, were, were going through his father's stuff, cleaning out the house, cleaning out all his stuff, they came across a little paper. It told them told them about Jesus and what he did on the cross for them. And he, and he told John, I read this little paper and my heart said yes. And I showed it to my wife, and, and her heart said yes. And to my sister and my brother-in-law, and, and their heart said yes. And he asked Brother John, John, would you come and teach us about Christ? <laughs> fifty Over 50 years later, a simple little paper that was given to an old man, that even though it did not reach that old man, it did not reach the, the heart and heart of that old man, that old man kept it. God had, it, had him to keep it for the souls of his children. And you see the, the immense work of, of the Lord. You know, brothers and sisters, in, in Matthew, when we read the parable about, about the seeds, you know, it, it says that the seeds are cast out. And the farmer casts the seeds, and sometimes it falls on stony ground. Sometimes it falls on shallow ground. And other times it falls on fertile ground. But brothers and sisters, listen. When it falls on fertile ground, what does it say? It says that, that the, the single seed will produce 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. That's, that's 10,000% profit. 10,000% increase with one seed. Brothers and sisters, I'm here this morning and I'm telling you, listen, do not not be faint-hearted. Do not look around you and say, Lord, where are you? Listen, He's working. 
His word will not return void. He keeps track of everything that is done. I mean, he, he keeps track of every hair on my head. I mean, yes, he, he decided to subtract a lot of them, but he, <laughs> he does. He, he knows every night. He knows every hair on my head. He knows every tear that I shed. He knows every prayer that I have said. Likewise with you. He knows every tract that's been handed out. Every kind word that you've given. Every time you've shared your, the gospel with a, with a soul. He knows those things. And He can use. He can use His word to His glory. So do not be faint. Do not waver. Do not, do not fail. Do not be discouraged. And we come to the first point. <laughs> Let us quickly consider the Holy Spirit, His role and purpose. How crucial the Holy Spirit is to the church. You see, one thing that needs to be said is that nothing can be done without the Holy Spirit. The disciples, those 11, had to sit there and wait until the Holy Spirit was to come. It says when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all come together. And there, could you imagine that great scene that in that day of Pentecost? There in that room, there was approximately 120, we read, 120 followers of Christ. Gathered together, what? In prayer and in worship. There, and that awaited helper, that, that, that awaited energy and power and strength we would receive from the Holy Spirit, came rushing down upon them like a mighty rushing wind. And there in the day of Pentecost, many things happened. More things happened in that day that, that, that I, I fully understand. But I want to talk about three things that were accomplished that day. Three things that were accomplished or three things that were done there in the day of Pentecost. One thing that was done in the day of Pentecost, with the Holy Spirit coming down, is that Babel, Babel was reversed. You may say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, let's consider Babel, right? You, you remember the story of the Tower of Babel there in Genesis chapter 11. When we consider the story of Babel, you remember that, this was after the flood, and the Lord gave the command to multiply and to cover the earth. In other words, multiply, have babies, and, and spread out. Well, when, when, when humanity, uh, you know, to spread out, it would be too hard, you know? But let, let's, let, we, I have a good idea. Let's stay together. I, I know God thinks He knows what he, what's best for us, but I have a better idea. Let's stay together. And when they came, they came, when they came across the, the, the land of Shinar there, a beautiful land, between two rivers, a, a, a very fertile land, they said, well, you know what? Let, let's go a step further. Let us build a tower to heaven. <laughs> Let us build a tower that reaches to heaven. You know, humanity to this day is still doing the same thing. God says, here I am. Come to me through my son. Come through me through my son. I offer myself to humanity through my son. Come through him. He is the way. He is the life. No one can come unto the Father but by Him. What does humanity say? Oh, that's nice. Oh, but you know what? I, you know what? I, I think I have a better way. You know, I, I, I'm a good person. If I'm true to who I am, I'm true to my kind heart, 
I, you know, I'll find favor with, with God. I'll find a, a sense of spirituality, a sense of, of, of God in my life. You know, one of the things that, that depicts Babel is it's almost like, like the, official, the official pervasive rebellion of humanity against God's rule. That was a big mouthful, wasn't it? You know, the idea of Babel continues through human history. And from Babel came Babylon. And from Babylon, and there in the book of Revelation, you read Babylon the Great, the harlot. And it's the, this idea, uh, it depicts the, the, the religious and political and economical uh, system that rebels against God. And so we see what started in Babel carries on all the way to the end of humanity. And we see there, they, 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 they built a tower out of brick and, and mortar. They, they didn't use stones. Let, let's not use stones. Let, let, let's, 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 with our own hands, let's, let's make, let, let's burn the, the, the bricks hot. And use mortar. And, and build a tower. You know, one of the things also seen in, 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 there in Babel is, they said, let us make a what? A name for ourselves. They were concerned about themselves. They wanted to make a name for themselves. And so what did the Lord do? The Lord came down and said and saw what they were doing and said, ah, we can't allow this. And, and what did they do? He, well, he, he confused the languages. And therefore we have all the dialects we have today. And so the unity that they had was now dispersed. And God forced humanity to, to spread out and, and to do His word. And you may say, well, what does that have to do with the day of Pentecost? Well, follow, follow along with it. First of all, let's start with the languages. The languages were confounded there at Babel. But what, what, what happened at Pentecost? Well, there was confusion. Absolutely there was confusion. But it wasn't confusion because the languages were different. The confusion was that they can hear themselves. They can hear the apostles and those who were there speaking to them in their language. <laughs> you see, the Lord confounded the language in Babel. Hey, here in the day of Pentecost, he said, listen, my, my salvation, my, my gospel is not just for the Hebrews and the Hebrew dialect. It's not just for the Greek. It's not just for Latin. It's for all people. And he went from confusing the languages to now uniting them. Through the gift of tongues, every single one heard what? The great things which God had done in their own dialect. And they looked around and said, well... How, how is this possible? These, guys, these people are Galileans. Well, what do they mean by that? Well, they, they, they should be talking with a, with a Galilean twang, per se. But no, they, they heard them in their own dialect. And there was people there from the north, from the south, from the east, from the west, from anywhere, everywhere in the, in the known area were there. And they heard them in all their own personal language. And we see that the Lord reversed Babel in the languages. Now, secondly... Secondly, we consider the, the brick and the mortar that they used. They burned hot the bricks and they used slime for mortar, it says in Babel. And they built a, a tower that was to reach to heaven. That their idea was to, to, to find a way to heaven, to find a way to God. You know, here in the day of Pentecost, the Lord doesn't use these fallible bricks, these man-made bricks. No, but what does He use for His temple? 
What does he use for this building which he's building? It says that he uses what? Living stones. He uses living stones. And, and, and if you allow me, the Holy Spirit is the motor. He's what binds you and I together today. He's, he's, what, he's what connects you and I in fellowship. You see a reversal of Babel. And lastly, I want to point out, they sought to make a name for themselves. They are a Babel. Well, what happened at the Pentecost and after Pentecost? Did the disciples and the apostles seek to make a name for themselves? No, it's quite the opposite. They weren't toting their name. They weren't toting the name of a great teacher. They were toting the name of the Lord. Well, 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 just think about it. Well, they, they healed in the name of Jesus Christ. They preached in the name of Jesus Christ. People were saved in the name of Jesus Christ. The, the Pharisees said, stop preaching, stop healing, stop doing anything in the name of Jesus Christ. And Peter said, what did Peter say? He said, nor is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given amongst men by which you must be saved. You see, Babel, they, they, humanity sought to make a name for themselves. And there at Pentecost, the church, we no longer seek our name. Why? Because if you're, if you're part of the church, if you're a believer, a, a blood-bought believer, you know that there's nothing to you. There is no worth in you. And the only thing you can do is to hold and cling unto the name of Jesus Christ and through Him alone. Will we ever find any favor with the living God? And you see a reversal of Babel. Moving on quickly. You also see the satisfaction or the completion of Sinai. Now what do I mean by that? Sinai, there in that great scene where God came down to earth to give the children of Israel there through Moses the law. You guys recall the story. It says that the, you know, the Lord came down in smoke and fire and, and, and Mount Sinai trembled at the idea of the creator of the heavens coming down upon it. It spoke of His holiness. And there He gave humanity the law. And while Moses was up there in the mount for 40 days and 40 nights, as the Lord gave him the law written in stone, what were the children of Israel doing down below? Breaking the very law which God was giving them. And what did that law require? What did that law require of them? Perfection. And that law required punishment, didn't it? For when Moses came down from the mountain with those tablets and saw what they had done, he dropped the tablets. And it says that in that day, how many, how many perished? Anybody remember? 3,000. 3,000 souls perished because of their sins. Because of the law demanded perfection. The law was holy. And 3,000 souls died that day. You know, Paul puts it very aptly. We just covered this on Wednesday night. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, But if the ministry of death, written, engraven on stones. He calls the law the ministry of death. Why? Well, because its requirement is perfection. And then he goes on to the next verse in verse 8. He says, but how will the ministry of the Spirit be more glorious? How will that ministry be more glorious when we consider the law and the Spirit? 
Well, there in Mount Sinai, 3,000 souls perished because of the law. But here, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 souls didn't perish. 3,000 souls were brought back from the dead. 3,000 souls that were sinners and condemned by the law. 3,000 souls that possibly handed the, the Messiah. They handled the Messiah. They bruised the Messiah. They crucified the Messiah. Here God is offering salvation to 3,000 souls who don't deserve an ounce of His grace, an ounce of His mercy. And you see a reversal. Not a reversal, I'm sorry. A fulfillment of the law. For when you read in Romans chapter 8, so aptly put, I mean, I'm, yeah, so aptly put, he says, says, for what the law could not do, he says, for what the law could not do, that it was weak in the flesh. I mean, that, that's very evident there in Sinai, wasn't it? The law demands perfection, and the law in the flesh cannot per- be perfect. It says that God did by sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On the account of sin, it says he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law, Sinai, might be fulfilled in who? In us. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We see a fulfillment in the law. There, at, there at, at Pentecost, the law was fulfilled for those hearts who turned to him. The, the, the righteous requirement of the law was fulfilled in Christ Jesus. It's not because they're any good. It's because Christ fulfilled it. He walked this earth perfect, blameless, without repro- above reproach. He, he, he had No one can say anything against them. We consider the words of John there in, his, in the gospel when he says, for, what, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And we see a, a fulfillment of the law there at Pentecost. Very quickly, as we're, we're well over time, the, last, the third thing I wanted to consider about the Holy Spirit in the day of Pentecost is it's the birth of the church. It is the beginning of the church. And I mentioned this before uh, this morning. It, it, without the Spirit, the church is nothing. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 says... Very beautiful. He says, but by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free. We have all been made to drink into one spirit. Now stop and consider that. Stop and meditate upon it. Well, what is the Apostle Paul talking about? It says, by one spirit, we are all baptized. Those who, who turn to the living God and, 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 and repent of their sins and, and turn to Him for salvation. They're baptized in the Spirit. We're put into the Spirit. But beautifully done as well is we are made one. Both Jew and Greek. There's no distinction. Both Jew and Greek. Jew or Gentile. Slave or free. It says we're made to drink. We're made to drink what? We're made to drink into one spirit. Now that's a beautiful thought. You know, when you're baptized in water, you're put in the water and you're submerged under the water and you're in the water. But when you drink the water, the water's in you. Now, stop and consider that. Brothers and sisters, not only are you in the Spirit of God, but the Spirit of God is in 
you. What a marvelous thing that is. And so when we consider the role of the church, brothers and sisters, it's a work of the Spirit. He gets all the credit. You know, He, he, he takes our, our, our fumbling, stuttering prayers, our feeble words, and He makes them into God-sized prayers. He gets the credit for every, every good deed that you've ever done. For every encouraging thought you've ever given. It's, he gets the credit. It's through Him. He empowers you. He guides you. <laughs> He's the source when we consider, when we open the Word of God. And, and, and God would reveal Himself to a poor soul like you and I. It's the Spirit that does that. You see, without the Spirit, the church is nothing. Without the Spirit, the church can do nothing. And we see how crucial the Spirit is. Let's move on quickly. We considered... We've considered um, the, 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 the commission of the church and the role of the Holy Spirit in the church. Lastly, I, I, very briefly, because we don't have a lot of time, I, I want, let's talk about the response of the church. You know, we've talked about what Christ did for us. We talked about what He did for the church. We, we talked about how the Holy Spirit came down and He empowers us. He, he, he empowers us into a, a, a victorious life. What should our response be? Well, I, I think it echoes what Peter did there. There after the day of Pentecost and, and, and the multitude was gathered around and, and they said, well, they, they must be drunk with wine. These people are gone. Isn't that like, like, like human intellect, right? To, to rationalize away God's miracle. To rationalize what God is doing. Oh, it's, it, there's an easy explanation. It's just wine. It's, it, it, I know it's nine in the morning, but they're much, probably just a bunch of drunkards. They are Galileans, you know. You know, what is our response? What should our, well, here's Peter who gets up and says, listen, what you see is not is not new wine. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. Nobody should be drinking this early in the morning. And he begins to, to witness to them, beginning with the, with the prophet Joel, and then with David, and speak to them concerning the Christ, the Messiah who was crucified. What should the response of the church is? It should be to open our mouths and to, to share with the world what He's done for us. You know, consider what, who Peter was. Consider what he did. He, he, here's a, 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 an arrogant, uh, rambunctious, uh, strong man. When push came to shove, he was nothing but a coward and a little girl. And he, he even cursed the Lord with oaths. He denied him and cursed him. Because he feared for his own life. And now you see this man 50 days later standing up amongst the multitude not as a coward but in the power of the Spirit fearless proclaiming Jesus Christ and Him crucified to the multitudes unwavering, unshaking. You begin to understand what Paul meant there when, it, when in, in 2 Corinthians the epistle of 2 Corinthians in chapter, chapter 5, Paul says, he says, For the love of Christ compels us. You know, that, that word compels doesn't do it for me. 
In the Greek, it's a, it's a stronger verb. It's a strong. It's more like for the love of Christ controls us. It moves us. Brothers and sisters, the reaction and the response of the church should be one of love, to move in kindness of love. The, the, to, for the reality of Romans chapter 12 to be true, I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present yourself a holy and living sacrifice. That's what Paul's getting, getting, getting to. I, listen, the love of God should, should take a hold of our hearts and our lives. And should compel us. What does he say? He says it compels us, it controls us that what? It says that it says because we judged us that if one died for all, then all died. What does he mean by that? Well, listen, brothers and sisters, he's saying if Christ died for all, and he saved me, and he redeemed a wretched sinner like me, then what right do I have to claim this life for myself? What right do I have to claim anything for me? I consider myself what dead. Galatians two twenty, isn't it? It's not. It's not I, but Christ that lives in me. That that's that should be the reaction of the church. That should be the the role of the church to be centered around Christ. And, and as we come across our our sphere, the people in our sphere of influence, they should not only see Christ in our lives, but they should hear it as well. Why? Because, brothers and sisters, when, when our hearts are filled with, with the love of God, it, it should be bursting out of us. And I, and I say this uh, with, with, a, with a heart of remorse because it's not always true in my heart. And sometimes the Lord and His love and His gospel takes a back seat in my, in my very important life. And that should never be. His love should always constrain us. His love should always compel us. His love is what should drive us. It's it's the only response we can have. It's the only thing we can give back to Him. But there's nothing else for us to give. I'll end with these words from Romans chapter 8. It says, What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he then, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? May the love of Christ live in you richly. And that the world may see the fire of the love of God in you. That we may be be shining lights for him in his gospel. As believers in Jesus Christ, we should exemplify the love of Christ. And and, and I've been talking to the church this morning, but if there's any soul or any individual here who doesn't know Christ as their personal Savior, who, who walks this earth as those in Babel did, thinking they know better than God, I say to you this morning, it's folly. Your way leads to destruction. The way of man, what seems wise to a man, is a path of destruction, the Bible says. Repent of your sins and turn to the living God. For he, he sent His beloved Son. He sent His only Son to die for sinners who don't deserve anything. He did it because He loved us. Let us pray. Our Heavenly God and Father, we thank You and praise You for Your Word. Lord, we ask, or You humbly ask, Lord, that Your Word 
would take root in our hearts and our lives, Lord. Lord, let us not, like James says, to, to come upon your word as a mirror and to see the flaws and the defects of our lives and to just walk away with it. We'll walk away from that mirror without doing anything about it, Lord. Let us, let us, Lord, be doers of your word and not just hearers only, Lord. Let the love of Christ compel us, Lord. Let it constrain us. Let, us, let it control us. Let, let us guide our daily lives, everything that we do. Lord, I ask all these things in your son's precious name, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.